All right. So, I love Paul. Paul is known uh, as an encourager. Uh, He encouraged the churches. He encouraged Christ followers daily with the gospel and in the gospel. Uh, Paul's goal was that every believer would live like Christ, would love like Christ, uh, that they would look like Christ to the world in which they lived. And I told you this in 1 Corinthians, it doesn't change in 2 Corinthians. Paul was like a spiritual father to these believers. I mean, he loved them like a daddy loves his children. And so he wanted to encourage them, but at times he also had to discipline them. At times he had to rebuke them. And so this was a a loving relationship, but it wasn't always easy. Uh, One thing Paul said to the church at Coloss, okay, I know I'm going to jump out of the the, the book of 2 Corinthians right now, but I believe what he said to the church of Coloss really applies tonight. Listen to what Paul said to the Colossians in Colossians chapter 4, verse 6. He said this to them, Let your conversations be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. What we know about this letter, this second letter, 2 Corinthians, and by the way, I, I want to throw a little nugget at you. Um, most theologians agree, and, and I tend to agree with them, uh, because Paul has mentioned letters that were lost. Most theologians believe Paul wrote at least four letters to the church at Corinth, but most likely only two of them were received, and it's the letters that we have, First and Second Corinthians. But but what we know is that this second letter that we have, 2 Corinthians, it is Paul's most intimate letter to the church. I mean, he is pouring his heart out to this body of believers. And so uh, we know that this letter was hard for Paul. Um, he shared his heart with the Corinthian church. But it was always about Jesus. He pointed them to Jesus. Uh, he pointed them to salvation that came through Jesus Christ. Um, and he was compassionate, and that's, that's something we're going to see tonight. We're going to see that compassion. And Paul's goal, Paul's goal for the church was that they would be a vessel of restoration. Paul wanted them to reach lost people in their community, and he wanted them to experience a right relationship with God. He wanted restoration for them. And so that's really what we're going to see tonight, compassion and restoration. That's Paul's message to the church um, in, in Corinth. So let's jump right in. We're going to go 2 Corinthians. We're going to break this down into three passages. So the first passage I want to focus on are the first four verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Listen to what God's Word says. It says, So I made up my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you, For if I grieve you, who is left to make me glad but you whom I grieved? I wrote as I did so that when I came, I would not be distressed by those who should have made me rejoice. I had confidence in all of you that you would all share my joy. For I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. So right off the bat, right off the bat, this sounds like a spiritual father 
who is burdened for his children. That's what it sounds like to me. This is a man whose heart is aching for his children. And so Paul's goal in this chapter and really this letter, Paul's goal was to discipline the believers, but to do so with godly compassion. He wanted to discipline them, but he wanted to do it compassionately. See, Paul, he tells us right here that he wrote this letter out of great distress. He said that his heart was anguished. And again, I want to go back to what Paul's goal was. Paul's goal was that the community of believers would know Christ and Christ crucified. He wanted them to understand their salvation and he wanted them to understand their sanctification. They were being sanctified daily in their relationship with God. And so he's very clear that his acts of discipline was not to lord it over them, but rather it was out of great anguish. It was a great love. And we know that because in chapter 1, do you remember what he said? He said, the reason I didn't come to you was because I was afraid that I might lord myself over you. And I don't want to do that. So Paul is making it very clear why he's writing this letter. Uh, he, he, he is distressed. He's anguished about what's going on in the church. And, and so he has to discipline them. But he's doing it with compassion. Godly compassion. And again, we see very, very clearly that Paul wanted the believers to share with him in joy and love. He wanted them to be a congregation of joy and a congregation of love. And the only way for that to happen was through building them up and not tearing them down. He wanted them to practice godly discipline in their lives, and he believed that if they were obedient and disciplined in their relationship with God, that they would experience joy and love. And here's the thing. If you are experiencing the joy of God, and you're experiencing the love of God, and you're practicing that, don't you think it's going to rub off on the people around you? And that's what Paul wanted. He wanted them to be a body of believers that were experiencing the joy of their salvation. He wanted them to experience the love of God so that that would rub off in the community in which they lived. He wanted them to be vessels of God's joy and God's love. And so those four verses right there really kind of really set the tone, right? for what Paul is about to discuss. So let's look at this next passage, verses 5 through 11. Paul says this, If anyone has caused grief, he has not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you to some extent, not to put it too severely. The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient. Now instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. Another reason I wrote you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. So in this passage, Paul, 
he, he clearly addresses one of the problems, one of the issues. Now, if you remember, when we started 2 Corinthians, I told you um, the main problem was there were false teachers in the church. And what, they were, what their goal was, was to divide this body of believers from Paul. They were false teachers. They did not want this body listening to Paul or agreeing to, with Paul. As a matter of fact, the very first thing they did was they said, well, Paul made promises and he couldn't keep them. Paul said he was coming to see you, but he didn't come see you. They were trying to turn the people against, quote unquote, their spiritual father, right? The one who led them in the gospel and pointed them to the gospel. And so what we see in this passage is the one who grieved Paul had actually done so to the entire church. So the one who offended Paul, the one who was against Paul, right? The one who grieved Paul, Paul said, hey, it wasn't just me. He grieved. To some extent, he grieved the whole church. And Paul had already dealt with this offender. He had already dealt with this sinful act. And he says that the church has done so as well. He says the majority of the church. So there may have been some in the church that either didn't know the offense or they didn't think it was an offense. But Paul says, hey, the majority of the church has already dealt with this. And from what we can tell, when you look at the context and you look at the way Paul is addressing this issue, the offender must have been repentant because the offender is still in the church. Okay? So if you look at the complete context, this is not someone that sinned against Paul and against the church and was booted out. This is someone who sinned against Paul, sinned against the church body, and they addressed it. And the offender is still there. And by context, we can make an assumption here, and we have to be careful with that, but based on the context, it looks as though the offender was repentant. Why do I say that? Because look at what Paul says next. He says, after this discipline... But forgive him and comfort him. So after the discipline, Paul calls for the church to forgive him. Give him forgiveness. Give him comfort. Uh, I love one of my commentaries, um, and I I don't quote him a lot, but one of my commentaries, theologian Richard Pratt, um, he says this. He said, sorrow cannot always be avoided. In fact... Many times, sorrow is what leads to repentance. Even so, once repentance has occurred, a serious danger lurks for those who are not restored to good standing in the church. They run the risk of overwhelming in sorrow. Discouragement of this sort may actually lead the weakened believer into even greater sinfulness. Therefore, Paul urged the church to reaffirm their love for the one disciplined. What is Paul talking about? Paul is saying, church, let's be very careful how we treat the offender, how we treat the sinner. We need to lead them to repentance, first of all. We need to point them to Jesus, lead them to the Spirit, let the Spirit lead them to repentance. And if they repent... Right? If they repent of that sinfulness, of that sinful act, then we need to forgive them because here's the thing. If they repent before God, what does God do? He forgives them. And Paul says, if God forgives them and you're a child of God, what must you do? You must forgive them. 
and you must comfort them. And Paul makes it very clear in this passage that if you don't do that, right, if you don't forgive them and you don't comfort them, they could be overwhelmed by their sorrow and their grief and the guilt and the sin and you could actually lead them into even greater sinfulness. That's what Paul is saying here. So Paul is saying be very careful, church, right? Be very careful of how you treat the offender who has repented. And it's very clear what Paul wanted. Paul wanted the believers, the Corinthians, to strive for restoration. That was the ultimate goal, restoration. Uh, If there is anything Satan wants, what does Paul say right here, right? Satan is, he schemes, don't he? What does it say in Genesis? He's crafty, right? At the very beginning, right? That, that crafty serpent, right? Satan schemes and he is crafty. And I'm going to tell you, if there's anything Satan wants, and I even said it this morning, but if there's anything Satan wants, he wants us broken and he wants us to stay in the brokenness. He wants us broken and he wants us to stay in the brokenness. What is, the, what is Satan's goal? I tell you this all the time too, because Jesus said it. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. If he can't have your eternity, if he can't have your soul, guess what he wants? Your testimony. Your witness. Right? Yeah. He'll take your joy. He'll take anything he can take. If he can't have your soul, he'll take anything else he can take, especially your witness to others, especially your testimony to others. And I believe that. Listen, restoration... That's what the gospel is all about. What, why is Paul so big on forgiveness and comfort and restoration? You want to know why? Because that's all Jesus was about. Forgiveness, compassion, comfort, restoration. Um, Dr. Tony Evans says this. This is so good. He says we must never, I'm going to say this as well as I can, we must never Put a limit on grace and mercy of God. We must never put a limit on grace and mercy of God to sinners. Rather, we must seek to lead them out of sinfulness to a place of spiritual restoration. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever you ever had somebody, right, that you were concerned for, someone you were invested in, and they just kept on letting you down? They just kept on going in the opposite direction that you were trying to help them. You know, you're trying to point them to Jesus. You're trying to point them in the right direction, but they just keep going the other way. Anybody in here ever been given up on? How does that feel? How, how awesome is it, right, that you were given up on? Nobody wants to be given up on. And we should never, we should never give up on anybody. Thank God, right, He didn't give up on us. You know how many times I've quit on God? I, I, I ain't got enough time tonight. I, I hate to say that, but there have been many times in my life when I, I tried to quit. I've tried to quit. On my wife, I've tried to quit on my family, I've tried to quit on church, I've tried it, I've been there, done that. I'm so thankful tonight that God never 
quit on me. That God never gave up. That God's grace never ran out. Right? That God's grace never had a limit. How many of us would be in trouble tonight if God's grace had a limit? Yeah, every one of us better raise our hand. Yeah, that would have happened in year one of our lives. <laughs> How many of us in here right, would be in trouble if God's mercy had a limit? Yeah, every one of us, right? So how could we call ourselves children of God, walking in faith, walking in obedience, and not offer grace and mercy to the people around us without limit? Now, I ain't going to say it's not hard. (laughs) I'm not going to say it's not hard. It's difficult sometimes. Paul understood it. Paul did not visit this church this time, did he? He didn't visit this church because he was hurting. And he was afraid that he would say something maybe that he shouldn't say face to face. He, he was afraid of lording himself over them. So he said, you know what? I'm going to write a letter. I'm going to take my time. I'm going to be led by the Spirit. I'm going to write this down. And he even says here that this letter was a test, wasn't it? Isn't that what he said? He said, I'm writing this letter as a test. A test of what? What was he testing the church for? Somebody find the word. To see if they were what? Say it out loud. Obedient. Paul wanted to see, right, if this church practiced what they preached. He wanted to see if this church practiced what they themselves had received. You see what he's doing here, right? I I mean, he's saying... You know that God has received you. You know that God has poured grace and mercy out to you, right? You, you have experienced it, but are you vessels of it? Are, are you receiving people with that same grace, with that same mercy? Paul said this is a test of your obedience. It wasn't about being obedient to Paul. He, he wasn't saying, hey, I want you to be obedient to me. He was saying, are you being obedient to the gospel? Are you being obedient to God? He wanted them to practice what they preached and what they themselves had received. The whole point of this chapter and really the whole letter was, are you practicing the compassion of God? Is your goal restoration? Look at how he finishes this this second chapter. Verse 12. He says, now when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. Now Titus had actually gone to Corinth to deliver the letter and he was waiting for Titus to come back with a response. So look at what happens. Now when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ. I love that. Leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of Him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we are an aroma that brings death. To the other, 
an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. So again, um, Paul in this letter, and we can already see it these first two chapters, Paul is heartbroken. I mean, this is a man who is heartbroken for the church, heartbroken over the church. I mean, he's already said, I'm in tears. He's been weeping, right? And look what happened. Paul was given the opportunity to preach. He was given the opportunity to preach the gospel in Troas, but his spirit was troubled. Do you see that? His spirit was troubled, and he left there. So think about this for just a minute. He was concerned for this church. He was heartbroken for this church. And Titus had not returned to him. So he did not know, right, how they, were, how they responded to him from the first letter that he sent. And he was anguished in his heart for Corinth. And it left him no peace of mind. And because he had no peace of mind, he was not able to stand there in Troas and preach the gospel with clarity. Again, Dr. Tony Evans says it this way. He says, Paul had no rest in his spirit, so he departed from Macedonia. Thus, the problems in the Corinthian church had unnecessarily prevented his ministry from moving forward. That's pretty powerful, right? You, you heard me say this earlier. We are connected, aren't we? We're connected. We're connected to God, and because we're connected to God, we're connected to one another. Do, do you understand, like, you have an influence and an impact upon me as a preacher of the gospel, just like I should have an influence and an impact upon you as vessels of the gospel? What we say and do to one another how we respond to one another, how we treat one another makes an eternal difference. It makes a kingdom difference. Paul was grieved and he was heartbroken over what was taking place within the church. False teachers and the church body actually listening to him. Right? It it grieved him in such a way that he did not have a peace In his spirit, he was troubled. And because he had no peace and he was troubled, he couldn't stand up and preach the gospel in Troas. That's pretty powerful to me. So what did he do? Paul said, but thanks be to God, right? Thanks be to God. See, Paul understood that God can do what he wants, when he wants, where he wants, how he wants, with whomever he wants. And Paul knew that God would get the gospel to Troas in the right place, at the right time and through the right person. So Paul went on to Macedonia, right? And guess what Paul did? He preached. As a matter of fact, I love this. Look at what he reminds the church at Corinth. He preached Christ as a triumphant king, right? He preached Christ as a triumphant king and the believers as his vessels, I love the language that he uses here because he talks about this triumphant procession. You know the language he's using, it's about Rome. 
He's using Roman language here. It's, it's that of a, of a general who's coming through the streets in Rome, right, after a big win, after a big victory. That's the language that he's using, but he's, he's saying, hey, don't forget who you serve. You serve Christ, and he is king, and he has victory. And because of that, you share in that victory, and you share in the spoils of that victory. Again, um, you hear me quote Dr. David Jeremiah all the time. I'm going to do it again. Dr. David Jeremiah says, The language used by Paul evokes the concept of a Roman parade with a victorious general. He goes on and says, Christ is the king, and now his followers can participate with him in the celebration. He is the man of triumph, and his victory is sure. Paul says, I want you to know who you are, whose you are, and why you are. That's what this is all about. Don't lose focus. Look to Christ. Keep your eyes on Christ. Don't listen to anyone else if they are not preaching Christ. That's what this whole letter is going to be about, okay? Spoiler alert. I mean, if they're false teachers, they ain't pointing you to Christ. That's why I tell you all the time, if someone gets up and preaches a political sermon and Jesus ain't in it, you need to stop listening. You need to just stop. You just need to tone out. If Jesus don't come up, something's wrong. I preached the book of Ruth this morning, didn't I? Guess what? Jesus is all up in that story. Whether you read his name in black and white ink or not, Jesus is all up in that story. Because Ruth is the vessel of God, it gets us to Jesus. So how could I not mention Jesus, right? I mean, if I'm preaching, you know, Isaiah or Jeremiah or any other book of the Bible and I don't get to Jesus, you need to question me. I I give you that, right? I'm telling you right now, you need to hold me accountable to that. Not just me, you need to hold anybody. Anybody. Who wants to talk to you about God's word? If Jesus don't come up, we got a problem. And that's very clear. Paul wants them to know Christ and Christ crucified. Because if they know Christ, then they know who they are and they know why they are. And so, he he uses another language here that I love. Like when y'all walked in this building, right? Couldn't y'all smell that, that sauce, right? That spaghetti? Now, some of you smelled the cheese. I'll let you have that, okay? I smelled the spaghetti sauce. I was like, oh, we're having something good tonight, right? And, then, and, and look, it's hard for me to preach to y'all right now. They got me distracted because I also smelled this chocolate cake behind me. And there's a lot of it up here, right? There's something about an aroma, right, that does something. How many of you go to the mall and you walk, pa- you walk past the cookie place and you go, ooh, I want one of those? That is, like, I try to walk on the other side. Like, you know I go to Chick-fil-A? When I go, I try to walk in through the, the entrance to where I can just go straight to Chick-fil-A. But if I'm coming from any other direction, I try not to walk by the cookie place. You want to know why? Because if I get close and I smell it, I'm going to buy a cookie. And I'm not just going to buy any cookie. I'm getting the double doozy, right? It's the two-layer cookie with all the stuff in the middle. How many of you go to the movies, right? And you're not hungry for popcorn, but you walk up in there, 
And, and what, you can hear it. But what's worse than that is, if you did this, you ain't got enough hands to pinch your nose, you're going to smell it. I make myself sick on buttered popcorn at the movie every time. I'll tell myself, I'm just going to get a bottle of water, and I never just get a bottle of water. They're going to have to cut the popcorn machine off for me not get popcorn. It's something about the aroma, right? It just, ah, it just captivates me. Listen to what Paul says. He says believers are to be the pleasing aroma of Jesus. Have you ever thought about that? Like in a spiritual sense, I'm going to ask you just a stupid question. But in a spiritual sense, do you smell good? Are you a pleasing aroma of Jesus to your spouse, to your kids, to the coworkers, to the school teacher that maybe you don't agree with because your child got to see? Are you a pleasing aroma of Jesus to the person who offends you? Believers are to be the pleasing aroma of Jesus. And Paul says two options. You one or the other. He says you'll either bring life to those who receive or it'll be death to those who reject. Right? But either way, either way, you are to be the pleasing aroma of Jesus. It's not your job to win this person, just like it ain't your fault if this person is lost. What did I tell you this morning? Every person has free will, right? Each person makes their own choice, either to receive Jesus or reject Jesus. You are to be a pleasing aroma of Jesus, both to the ones who are receiving it and even the ones who are rejecting it, even the perishing. He says, be a pleasing aroma to them. But if they reject it, then it's death. If they receive it, it's life. Paul made sure that the Corinthian church understood this was not a game. Did you see that? He said, I'm not peddling. I'm not peddling the gospel for profit. What he's saying there is this is not a game. I'm I'm not playing a game. Paul says, I'm not playing a game with the gospel. This is not a message to be peddled for earthly profit. No, this is eternal. And Paul wants them to understand, right, that the way they act, the way they respond, the way they treat each other, the way they receive each other, the way they forgive each other, the way they comfort each other, the way they are vessels of restoration, this is about eternity. It's, it's not a game. This, this, is, this is eternal. So do you understand why Paul was grieved? Do you understand why Paul's heart like was, was broken? Like he was anguished? Do you understand why Paul was in tears? Like, like he wanted them to get it. This is not just another you know, hoop to jump through. No, this is eternity we're talking about. Paul wanted them to understand the eternal consequences of their actions. And so this was a hard letter. Letter. And look, we've only hit the first two chapters. We, we, we've, we've got some more pouring out, right? Paul's going to pour himself out to them. But it's not going to be about him. And we're going to see this. It's not about him. It's about who? Christ. 
It's about Christ. I like it when he said, hey, look, uh, you know, it's not so much me that was grieved by this offender as much as it was the church. Paul said, I, I, I've forgiven the man. Like, I'm over it. What about you, church? He says, have you forgiven him? Have you comforted him? Because if not, you're going to push him away into even greater sinfulness. And is that what we want to do? No. We want restoration, just like all of us have been restored. This, this is a powerful message. So speaking of, uh, of God's grace, uh, I want to leave you with this. As Christ followers, we are saved by God's grace. We know that, don't we? But did you know we're also used by God's grace? We are saved by God's grace, but we're also used by God's grace so that we can bring Him glory and so that we can spread the good news to everyone. That's what grace does for you and me. Grace doesn't just save us. Grace uses us as vessels, right? Grace is the way we can give God glory and grace is the way we can spread the gospel. Listen, apart from God's grace, I cannot be a pleasing aroma of Christ. Think about that. No matter how much I try, without God's grace, I cannot be a pleasing aroma of Jesus Christ. So God's grace not only saves me, God's grace uses me. God's grace equips me. God's grace enables me to be a vessel of good news to everyone. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to go back to Colossians chapter 4, verse 6. When I talk to people, I hope my conversation is full of grace. I hope it's seasoned with salt, right? So that I'll know how to answer everyone. Not just how to answer everyone with a right answer, but how to answer everyone with compassion. How to answer everyone in tone. We should do it always with compassion. We should always strive for joy and love. That should be our motivation. And restoration should be our goal.